0: Holiday House Books for Young Readers, Peachtree Publishing Company, and Pixel and Inc. present Tom Phillips, author of the Curious League of Detectives and Thieves Middle Grade Series, in conversation with Taylor Ting, author of the Clara Pool Middle Grade Series. Hello, my name is Keith Strunk, and this week the guest book welcomes Tom Phillips and Taylor Ting. Tom Phillips is an author who has also had a long career as an editor and artist for clients such as Lavar Burton Kids. HBO, Disney, and ABC. Egypt's Fire, the first book in the Curious League of Detectives and Thieves debut middle grade series, came out this year. Taylor Ting has worked as a designer, animator, film editor, and software CEO for the entertainment industry. He, too, finds endless joy in writing for middle grade readers, and his first middle grade novel, Clara Poole and the Long Way Round, comes out in 2023. Today, Tom and Taylor will be discussing their lifelong experiences with dyslexia and their paths from working in film and TV to becoming debut authors and, as they say, arch nemeses, apparently. Welcome, Tom and Taylor, to the guest book.
1: Hey, thank you very much, Keith.
0: Yeah, and thanks, hello, Keith. Tom, again. So, arch nemeses, is that true?
1: Yeah, no, I, I. he's so talented, I can only hate him. Yeah. Like that's, that's just really how it is. He's, his his book is so brilliant that I envy and, and, and respect him at the same time. It happens to be one of the few things that Tom and I actually agree on. <laughs> well, uh, I think that
2: Tom, <laughs> we were, uh, you know, we were brought here uh, for for a couple of reasons, not just to be uh, uh, arch um, which we can talk about uh, at, at length if you need, but yeah. more kind of about, um, becoming debut writers and becoming debut writers that have had a long history with dyslexia, and you and I have each had some
0: experiences
2: with that, and and how that's kind of shaped us and, and led us to where uh, to where we are. Um, I think probably the the best place is is to give people dyslexia is such a broad thing for so many different yeah. people. Is probably good by you know starting off and kind of talking what it's you know like for each of us to have it. So, you yeah, know, I, for you, I mean, what what's been your experience?
1: Yeah, so I was gonna, I was actually gonna ask you um, because uh, we talked a couple couple days ago and you were you were saying that um, you ended up finding out you were dyslexic later in life. Um, I did too. I think both of us this is something we share. Uh, I didn't I didn't find out I was dyslexic till I was in college. So I spent the first you know. 12 years and first year of college, uh, of my education, just thinking everybody else took forever to do their homework. You know, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that anybody else didn't have the same problems I had. Um, we also, I, you know, we're both old men. Um, so we grew up in a time when like, they didn't really talk about it. Right. Like,
2: yeah, oh, yeah. Like I went to school in the time when, when they still gave out left-handed scissors, you know, so, cause we would hurt ourselves. So, you know, things like dyslexia were, were really, um, I mean, if they were known, they were probably known clinically, but not not in a colloquial sense. Where, where yeah, they, they just put
1: everybody in a room, right? Yeah. They just they would they would just take us all and put us in a room and be like, "There's something going on with you." And now kids have specialization, which is great. Um, yeah, for
2: for me, you know, it, it was probably around third grade. You know, I was having I, I used to dread the fact of having to read in front of uh, of my class, and so I would just. I would pray, put my head down, and pray that my teacher wouldn't wouldn't call me because it was really traumatic for me to try and read out loud. And I could read um, fairly fast, um, which I think for some dyslexics is they have a, a more uh, they're they're slower readers, faster thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but my reading was actually okay, and my comprehension was okay until I had to speak out loud, and mm-hmm. and and being put on the spot, and something that actually was in that regard, timed in that way, I just would shut down like altogether. So it's probably then that, that I think people realized that hey, there might be something going on. And I had a reading tutor for a little while. Um, and that was actually the person that really, um, I can't, honestly, can't even remember her name. And I wish I could, but I've read this really great book about witches and I can't remember what the book is called either, but I just remember the witches. idea that it did it turn me, me on to, to, uh, to reading and to storytelling and um, and that was the first person that really told me about you know it was really about my ideas, not about you know the, my my words or, or how fast I could read or anything like, like that so like you you know when I got to college, um, you know I had the worst you know board scores in in the world, and I literally went and got an IQ test because people thought something was wrong with me. And so I tested out really well. It said I could, you know, I could go to an Ivy League college if I wanted to, which of course I didn't. Um, but um, but I would never pass a standardized test like in my life. And and like when I go to the DMV, still to this day, like filling out a form will like bring me to my knees. Um, so it's, it it shows itself in lots of uh, you know different ways. I mean, I know how it appears in your daily life. You know, be yeah. even beyond
1: writing. Yeah, I um I I kind of had the same thing. I um would memorize books before uh, like I, yeah. would, I would take the weekend before and I would memorize the chapter. So then when I was reading, I, I knew what it was supposed to say. Uh, so you're more, you're more intelligent than I am. Because I would, because I could not, I, to this day, even like reading, now we have to go read, like, I, I tease about this when I had my signing, one of my first signings was in Denver where I grew up and all of the people in the audience were my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> and i was like this is this is this is hell i am now reading to all of my ex-girlfriends out loud a book that this is not where i thought i would be now with that said all my ex-girlfriends are wonderful wonderful people and they all came and with their husbands and children and stuff so there were other people but yeah um i hate reading out loud uh i um and because of that i really feel, feel like i lost so much about storytelling and like the joy of reading that I found as an adult, and the joy of stories that I found as an adult, uh, I also think it's kind of why I—I I don't know about this with you, Taylor—is why I kind of gravitated towards the film world uh-huh. because I got to tell stories, but I didn't have to read them. Like, I like I started consuming my my storytelling through. Um,
2: yeah, it's, it's funny you say it because I think. Channel you and I have a similar um, experience there is, is I, I being, being a visual person and being a, a you know professional visual artist or commercial artist, you know, I graduated to things that I could, I could do through, you know, basically through my hands or making pictures or, and then, and then became, you know, video and film. Um, and probably because I didn't feel strong enough to write them down. And, mm-hmm. and, and I had this idea that, um, I was dyslexic, so therefore it should negate this idea of potentially becoming a writer, um, even though I've always been pretty good with you know, turning a phrase in words. So uh, the one thing that, I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50. And so, you know, it took me, you know, the better part of my life to get to a place where I actually was unafraid to write down a sentence and realize that I'd actually had a much better voice um uh than than I thought I did. And the writing was more of a technical or a mechanical thing that came after the fact. Um and so it really kind of that 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 moment kind of un- unleashed me in into saying, oh well may, actually maybe I can try this. Um and kind of getting above something. Um I mean I don't know about you for like I uh, I was mentioning it to you some time ago is you know for me dyslexia everyone's different, but for me, I kind of, you know, I flip things. I see them backwards. I kind of put them out of order and I've always likened it to kind of fumbling through, you know, the darkness where you can see the edges of the room, but you kind of keep bumping into things unexpectedly. Whereas like other people never do. They just, they like, they just like walk through, like the lights are on. And so it was always this weird thing where I still was able to perform. um, And I was capable enough in life, but I would always have this one impediment that would, that would stop me. And, and like when I was even in business, you know, I went from being a graphic designer all the way to weirdly getting fired up to being a CEO. You know, I had a you know, hundred people under you underneath know, me that I had to manage day to day and like words mattered. And so for me, you know, I would do things like I always write "can" when I mean can't or do when I mean don't, which yeah. definitely leads to the unexpected things, which is generally the opposite. Yeah. Um, And so people also kind of had to create almost like a decoder, um, you know, to talk to me. Um, So it's like, it's something that I don't think has ever really gone away. Um, And it's something that you just kind of have to go at every day, um, knowing that it's going to be imperfect um, until people actually understand.
1: Yeah. and, and, And it's hard. Like I was in, I found out in a Shakespeare class in college that I was dyslexic. And basically what happened was I, because I'm smart enough to know what the sentence is supposed to say, I would just read it the way it's supposed to be, or right. I would paraphrase it. Right. And for the most part, people just like let that go. Nobody goes, wait a second. Um, but I was in Shakespeare class, and because I didn't know what the words were supposed to be, I was just it was just horrifying. Yeah. And um, I would listen to you know somebody else do the soliloquy, and then I would come in and do it, and everybody like, oh, you're so good, you're so good. Um, but then when we went to sonnet day and it was like every Friday, we would like get around on the stage and they'd light candles and we're all sitting around reading sonnets to each other, uh, which should be fun and exciting and, you know, <laughs> awesome. And I was terrified. And at the end of one of my class, like they went around and I tried to read and I screwed it up and they went around again and the, the professor just skipped me. And I yeah. was like, oh man, I totally screwed up. So at the end of the thing, I was like, Hey man, I don't think I can do this class. I'm not smart enough. Like, it's just, this is, this is out of my league. And he goes, you're not, it's not that you're not smart enough, Tom. It's that you're dyslexic. We just got to do something with that. And I was like, what do you mean I'm dyslexic? And he's like, come with me. So he had me tested and I did the the tests and then they're like, yeah, you're dyslexic. And I was like, I'm, I'm a sophomore in college now. I'm like, well, well, wait a second. Why didn't anybody catch this up to now? And it was because I was smart enough to, I was too smart for my own thing. I was too much of a con So I conned my way through everything and the teachers just didn't see it because they were just like, oh, he's lazy lazy," or, you know, he's really disorganized and he's always behind and whatever. And the truth was, it took me 14 hours to do an assignment that it would take somebody else 14 minutes to do. So after a while, I just was like, I don't want to turn that in. I want to, you know, I want to go to sleep sometime tonight. So I think there is kind of that bare minimum
2: that uh that tendency to want to kind of brute force through it just by by putting in like extra time and and grease, and i think for some some people that is kind of will always be the case i mean i think any time i've ever had to send an important email as an adult i have to read it four times and then have someone else read it
1: do you use um so i use a tool called grammarly i love grammarly yeah love grammarly it. saved my life
2: yeah yeah there's there's a few things i mean I, so for one like Two-letter words in my world—I don't know about you—are completely interchangeable um, if if unnecessary. So yeah. words like of, on, if, is, in, do—they're all the same. I mean, they literally, or or I don't need them. Like I'll just remove them because they're yeah. just like unnecessary fill, like filler in, in things. Yeah. So um, so it's just. It's the amount of times I'll read back something. And I won't, I actually, the, the other tool, uh, in addition to Grammarly that has really saved my life um, that I wish I had as a kid. I mean, the things that that, that kids growing up now have are f- remarkable, but text to speech has actually been huge, not just for me and, and and dyslexia, because obviously I I can hear my mistakes where I won't read them. And so, yeah. you know, I've used, um, I started using Amazon's Poly, um, which is a really, really great um, speech to text or text to speech um, software program, and then moved on to natural voices as I think is the other one um, yeah. that have that like that- and they're they're fantastic because not only are they they give you like a real read and you can you can correct your errors and you can learn from it. I really do learn as an aid um, but it's also just as a general writing tool it's amazing yeah. for me because. It actually shows me the cadence of my dialogue and my paragraph structure and everything else, kind of the integrity of the text and and, and I get the flow from it too. So it's I think it's more than just, you know, aiding, aiding uh, uh, for for dyslexic needs.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's really cool. Like we obviously didn't have this, we have it now that the text to speech has gotten so good that they, the computer actually sounds like a person. It doesn't, it's not like she walked down the street, you know, like it's become a thing. So now you can really hear the storytelling back to you. And it's almost like somebody reading your story back. Yeah. To you. I mean, uh, you like, can go
2: to the, de- to the degree of actually, you know, uh, programming in inflections and intonations and all sorts of things. So it's, it's a pretty powerful tool, but, but the idea that if I was, you know, if I was going to school now and I had a tool like this to help me back to read my homework, um, you know, and I love the fact also in schools that that I mean, this is certainly in in many cases, some cases it's still not, but in many cases, uh, you know, you have a, a, you know a world of teachers who recognize that audiobooks um, are just like reading, hearing words and reading them are the same thing, and again, it's all about the quality of the communication not, you know, whether I can, I can do the, you know, the basics, Um, which is not to say that those are important things, but, but it really gets to the fact that we're, we're thinking about the actual thought of the words, not just the words. And I think that's, that's something that we didn't have probably. Yeah. And
1: I want to add too that, you know, nowadays teachers have all the tools to find kids that, you know, to, to, to see a kid has dyslexia, you know, and I, I, I when I talk to my teacher friends, one of the biggest problems they have is not that they don't see the kid has dyslexia. It's that telling their parent that their kid has dyslexia is like a big black mark. and it's like, oh, then the parents get all upset. They're like, no, my kid's fine, oh my kid's fine, my kid's fine. So like if I could give any advice to parents that are listening today like, you know, make sure if your kids having a problem reading, make sure now so that they have a fruitful and wonderful life and not struggle and then find out on a whim, in a class when they're a sophomore in college and then wasted so much time and have so much anger built in them because they just thought that they were broken in some way. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was reading through, so uh, Yale has a, their center for
2: creativity and dyslexia, which is a a really, really great resource um, or I found to be um, because it's also, it's, it's clinic, it's, you know, academic and clinical voices as well as people that have experienced. So it gets kind of a multi-voiced, um, uh, platform of different experiences. The, the, you know, I think their quote or their statistic was like, you know, 20% of people have some form of dyslexia. And so the, the, you know, the prevalence is, is enormous. And so the fact that there'd still be any like shame about it, or even silent shame about, about, about this, um, is, uh, I have lots of, lots of feelings about it. Galling is one, but, but the, but the fact that any parent wouldn't uh, want to put their path their child on a path um, of success, have higher comprehension is beyond me. So I, I totally concur with you. I, the, the, the ability to again, tell your, you know, this is not an intelligence problem, you know, no. it's, and, and, and that's, and I think that's the thing that some people um feel uh still like weighted down by
1: yeah like you know i I built my first motorcycle when i was 12 like like from parts put it together yeah yeah that that is just a different form of intelligence and i really love that the new teaching style of things they really are with our with our advancement in the spectrum and um you know dyslexia other neurodiverse things it it used to be a death sentence you know it's like ms they 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 used to be like well that's it it's done and now there's so many different forms and so many different things and so many different tools that you can be used that really you know i feel like when your kids are having kids like we have our grandkids our grandkids aren't even like it's not gonna be a thing they're gonna be like yeah everybody it's like colorblindness you know they're like oh that guy's colorblind oh well you know and they move on like it's it's no it's not a big deal because- yeah, I think that the, the methods are are catching
2: up, and, and so th- and this is the place where technology, I think, has has a huge um, advantage. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like it's, it's technology is is a true help to 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 reading. You know, or remedying some of, some of these things. Yeah. Um, the uh, you know I, I, the other flip side of it is is and I for me, I've kind of come to the conclusion that my dyslexia is like a superpower for me because it actually helps me see the world differently. Um, and, and whether or not I've kind of hacked my way into a life perspective because of, of, of that, I don't know. But I'll say that, you know, when I had, you know, my business partner used to call me a contrarian um, because I would generally have a different opinion about how things were being seen or I read something and I would, I would interpret it wrong. And it took him a long time to realize, and he finally said, he's like, yeah, actually, you're not a contrarian. He's like, you just see the world like sometimes in, 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 in the opposite. Um, and so for collaboration, I've actually found it to be a really interesting, um, tool more than an affliction because, um, it allows me, I think, I think I think faster and I kind of put a lot of more, um, uh, abstract, um, non-sequitur thoughts together in different things. And it presents a different perspective for people, you know, good or bad. It's, to me, it's, it's not a it's
1: not a um, it's not something to overcome it's an additional thing to offer Um, yeah I I agree with that I also would would um, say that uh, for me anyways I feel like the dyslexia makes my stories better like just plot wise like just just the structure of storytelling better because I'm constantly having to go back and listen to things and, and make sure that I didn't miss you know a contraction or yeah. to say the wrong word. And I'm like, Oh, I don't like that part of that book that needs to go out. Let's move this thing. You know? So it yeah. sort of, sort of helps me not, you know, sort of help me self edit without um, dwelling too much. So.
2: Well, I I mean, so I mean, you've gotten to a place here where, where you decided, well, I'm going to, you know, uh, one way or the other, I'm going to become a writer. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, just talk to me about like your way into, into writing so coming coming from this and coming from film editing and coming from the movie industry you know why 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 become a writer
1: okay well i think every every film industry person everybody started off thinking they were going to be an actor and uh i was i wanted to be an actor until i got on set and then i was like wait a second this person doesn't have this this is like this is the lowest person on the totem pole Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be told the story. I don't want to tell somebody else's story. I want to tell my story. So then instantly your ego goes, well, I should direct, but, um, this is sounds so bad. It's sort of, it's sort of lazy for me, but I was just like, that's so much. Like, I don't want to be in control. I, but I want to tell the story. So I ended up really in, in writing and editing, um, and writing, just editing is really great for me because I get to do the art side of things and I get it after everything's filmed everything's done i get to put it together and see the story put together and it's i get to help craft that and i get to be a part of, of other people's storytelling which i which i, I think it, about
0: you know sitting was, around the
1: campfire and sharing stories but also writing i get a I get to make worlds so i was like oh i really like this uh my difficulty was i i started with the film writing i i i had a film writing partner and now i have a second film writing partner and i really really for a long time relied on my writing partner to do the actual writing. And we would sit and we talk about things and we'd work things out. But when it got to, to typing it in, somebody else did it. And then uh I, I just started doing it myself. And then I was like, you know, once I found out I was dyslexic, that changed a lot of things for me too, because then it wasn't as scary. You right. Know? Right. So I started to like really like get into it. And this story, I was in a museum of natural history in New York, and uh this mom was walking with her kid and Kids said, Oh, I wish I could live here. And their mom said, well, where, where would you live? And he was like, Oh, in the ceiling. And I was like, Oh my God, that's a story. And <laughs> that's where my, my, my book came from was this kid's like brilliant idea. And I was like, Oh, it's so smart too!" like the, the <laughs> cathedral ceilings and the fourth floor over the bathroom. It's not cathedral ceilings. It totally is going to be like, a, if you walked, I know if you crawled up in one, it's going to be like the size of, ni- of a nice uh, New York apartment. So I'm like, you know, that's, that's a brilliant place to be. So then it just kind of took from there. And, um, you know, I, am a big person about campfire stories. I say this all the time about ancestry that our, our ancestors told a story and then somebody else told a story and they, it went all the way back to the first story and storytellers are a way not only to entertain, but also to, uh, um, keep your ancestors alive Mm-hmm. That's how we that's how we, we still talk about our grandparents, we still talk about, you know, when grandpa fought in the war and all that kind of stuff, but it keeps that person alive. So in a way, it's narcissistic, but in a way by writing a book, uh, it achieves a, a form of immortality. So no matter what happens to me, a hundred years from now, some kid could read my book and I'm still there. I'm still alive in their in their world and I'm I'm part of their existence and I feel like as humans we have this tendency to destroy and not try to build and and be part of each other's worlds so do you you find coming from you know because both of us have you know editorial experience or
2: you know film editorial experience coming from or let me say the one thing I feel like I learned how to do before I really became a writer was I learned really how to set a scene and mm-hmm. and being a video editor really helps that because you're getting someone else's idea. But, I, I, you know, I could argue, and so could a lot of editors, that, that <laughs> real movie making is done and storytelling is done in the edit bay, yeah, not, I mean, not, you on, know. not on set. Um, yeah. But you do really realize kind of what makes it in and what makes it out. So kind of taking the heads or tails. And then you go to writing, where the thing that you were just saying, where you can kind of expound on these ideas and bring in layers of subtext and, and, and pay homage to things. And, and you can work in different dynamics than you can, you know, yeah. with, a, with a movie that has a set, you know, runtime. So did yeah, you yeah. feel that was something that was either too much to wrangle or was it like free your leash to run forever?
1: Oh, well, you know what I did, which I thought was really funny was I didn't know I was doing it wrong until Allison said, no, you're doing it wrong. And basically what I mean by that was that I I'm obsessed with Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. And this Uh is like, because once again, we're all each other's story and we're all connected. So this idea of every epic story ever written, all have the same elements. So when I write a movie, a lot of times I use that to keep in format. Like you said, we only have so many pages, so many words you can say. So what I did was when I plotted out my book, I'm a plotter. um, I plotted it through the hero's journey. And then I started writing thinking, oh, this is going to be simple. I'm going to end up with 120 pages and it's going to be the perfect size book and kids are going to love it, whatever. And then when I started writing, I realized that editing visually is different than writing on a page because visually I can just have a a fireplace going and I set up a couple lights here and I change some things and we get this ambiance, and we're in the scary dark castle. But when writing, you have to actually set that. And even in film writing, we don't do that. We go, there's a fireplace in a yes, castle. Exactly. And then some other designer takes care of that, right? Right, to be yeah. here in our book. But I didn't understand how describing something then changes the flow of the story. If you have a horror film and somebody's running through a house being chased by a guy with a knife, you can't stop and explain the color of the carpet, right? Sure. Because it slows everything down. So I learned a lot about pacing which I think is a huge editorial like as an editor in film and television like like pacing is such a big deal in storytelling and it was it's a very different type of pacing in in books so I think that was my my biggest struggle um but everybody all the time they go oh this book was so good it read like a movie and I'm like yeah it did that's the whole point <laughs> I'm a movie writer I'm like I'm like oh I really love that you love that but I didn't mean to do that I was like oh I really wanted to read like a book <laughs> like what does that mean you know
2: well it's a kind of a funny thing you say that because I think
1: you know, I know a lot of
2: writers who, who can write around, write me around the block. I mean, they just, they can just,
1: they just, they're so good at. at Yeah. Like Taylor guy writes me around the
2: block. (laughs) But the, the thing that they can't do is construct a kind of cohesive blocked out, you know, story path and whether it's, this type of structure or this arc or two or whatever, whatever it is, you, you know, they're not, they're writing to the end, not writing to the next kind of plot point within it. I think, I think about people like the, the, what is the story engineering, the, I think it's Larry Brown's book, which is kind of like a screenwriting book for mm-hmm. writing books. Um, it's one of the best books that I've ever read because it's kind of written from uh, the idea of, you know, you have a certain, your, your audience has expectation of how a story should flow. And mm-hmm. there's certain times, even if you're, it doesn't matter if your story is 400 words or 400,000, you know, 20% of that story in they're expecting this to happen. They're expecting wow. this to turn. They're expecting to get more information. We've got all the information in and having some idea of that structure. And again, coming from a world of, of, of editorial um, and filmmaking um, Uh, that's always kind of sunk in my mind as needing to have those building blocks. And as a dyslexic too, and like you, I'm a huge plotter. So, you know, knowing the point I'm writing to um, also helps me kind of when I bite-size my writing. So, you know, for me, even thinking about sitting down and now kind of overcoming some of my, you know, dyslexic tendencies to to things, it's like I can do things in more bite-sized pieces. Um, So it makes my thinking a little bit more discreet.
1: Well, I always tell people, too, that plotting out the book saves you time in the long run because you know where – like, it's like a a road trip across the country. If you know where all the gas stations are, you know where to stop, you're going to get there. If you – don't know where the gas stations are and you just go for it a lot of times you'll run out of gas and and i think that's what happens with people who don't plot a lot of times the panthers look the first act is the easiest you get in the story's good there's a hook there's a bad guy there's a good guy there's all this adventure and you got the end you know how you want the end the book to end but really the second act is where everything falls apart And that's like the mushy part of everything. I mean, second act is the hardest thing to accomplish. People think a lot of times they're like, "Oh, it's the third act. You got to stick the landing. You got to stick the landing." But the truth is, is it's the second act where you lose lose your way. It's Um, an interesting.
2: I think there's people like the R.L. Steins of the world that can. They're they're so good that they can take a setup and make it into a story. Where there's a lot of people that um that start from kind of a, you know, the pantsing perspective of it, where they have a great setup that they don't realize isn't a story. And yeah. and so 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 they do their plotting in revision. Um, yeah. and so but at the end of the day, you still plot. <laughs> so yeah. it's just it's more well, like it's, you don't get away from like it God. just when you want to do it.
1: Well, it's like being a cartoonist, right? Like yeah. like so many people want to draw a cartoon, but the, really the people that are really good cartoonists are people that studied fine art. Yeah. And then they go backwards. And once you've mastered the idea of painting, after you've mastered the, the 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 artistic talent. Then you can go back and simplify and just do things, and then every time you do it, it's perfect, right? So R.L. Stein, he's a master of storytelling. So now he, he can knock books out and not and just sit down and get a premise and go and have it because it's already innate in him. He already knows where the blocks are, where the path is going to be, where the turn, you know, where the where the where the change of of of, um, of of theme is, all of that stuff, right? Like he has it in him because he's written so many books. But if somebody's like, "I'm going to write an R.L. Stein book," and they just jump in without any idea a lot of times young debut authors that's where they're they run into problems or their work becomes derivative or things like that because they um they're not ready they're not ready to write I don't think I'll ever be ready just to be a pantser I don't I don't think I'll yeah. ever be able to master the craft where I can do it and I know some really great writers that are pantsers and their books are always perfect and I hate them um just 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 despise everything about them because they're perfect in every way Amalia I'm talking about you they're just master storytellers and sometimes people you know you don't, you don't play tennis against Serena Williams. Like you, She's <laughs> just, just amazing. Right. Like, so. That's, so, that's... so,
2: so, so th- kind of transitioning from, you know, uh, dangerous waters, whether you're, you know, you choose the pants or the plotter side, like you and I both are debuting books where well, you have debuted a book. Your book has, has come out to great success and congratulations, which I hate to say, but it's really good.
1: Listen, um listen it's only gonna it's right only gonna be here. successful till march and then your book is gonna come out and everybody's gonna be like tom who well if, if, if uh certainly of if, if any
2: takeaway is if people haven't read egypt's fire yet they, sh- they should get get a copy it's really fun and you have like 12 of them i think to come or so, 20 of them Who knows?
1: I, I wanted i, I want to do 12 allison said that we might get to seven so we're probably going to have to compromise and probably around seven
2: so Allison, for, for those who don't know, is,
1: is is both yours and my editor, who is a lovely human being that has to put up with us. And, and insanely like let's just like she's insanely talented, at insanely talented. Is. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She is literally the most talented editor and 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 story crafter that I have worked with in in, in anything. Like yeah, she's she's, of she's all definitely... the people I've worked with. She's, She's definitely so made good. our books 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 as opposed to just like
2: manuscripts. Um and the rest. Well, I was gonna say, you know, the the one thing about about yours and my debut, um, which either we're lucky or cursed enough, I'm not sure which, is that it's not a single book. Our our debuts are actually debuting for a as series. Yeah. And so like what is, you know, thinking about this. Uh, and I guess being a kind of a plotter type person, you know, mm-hmm. plotting out not just one book but an entire series that's going to be compelling and people come back to, and moving characters through, you know, different arcs and 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 yeah. and all that. Like, how how have you thought about you know this? is pretty ambitious thing to start out that way.
1: Yeah. So this is good because we're television. Like, because I write for TV, film. Like, that's so. So I'm used to serials. So I had a little bit of a of a of a look at how you continue a character on. Um, my biggest complaint in Hollywood is that they don't know when to stop that when a series dies is because they don't know when to get out. Um, so you have to kind of plot that out. I started with the hero's journey. There's 18 points of the hero's journey or 12, 12 to 18 points, depending who you depending on who you talk to. So when I plotted out my books, why I want 12 books is that each book is basically a different plot point in the hero's journey. So the mm-hmm. books so the arc themselves is, is a plotted out for the whole series and you can do that over three books or seven books or whatever, but you plot out the whole hero's journey of that, of the character. So when he's at the beginning to where he's at the end, I say he because my book is about a little boy, but she or they or whoever goes on their journey, they go through that journey. There is a part in, in series where everything falls apart. I'm not going to be a spoiler alert here, but when Dumbledore dies, that's the darkest night. Like it's, yeah. you know, and that's in the book. That's in his, that's in Harry's full path, right? But each book itself is also a hero's journey. So it's sort of like, I always say it's like developing a video game. Like if you look at Mario, like you have to get through the first level before you can get to the second level. And the second level is a little bit harder and a little more fun, you know, a little different. And then the third and the fourth. And then by the time you get to the ninth level and you fight Bowser, you've gone on this full journey. But you're taking it piece at a time. So that's how I think, think it was. For me, in, in kind of conceiving this, because my, so I, I wrote,
2: I wrote um, my book, Claire Pool with the, with the notion that it could extend not knowing exactly where it, where it would and what that story was. Yeah. And, and looking back on it now, because um, my, that, that first book was like 120,000 words, which is now like 70 after many, many journeys through, through revision. Yeah. Um, and it's a great book, but I realize now that the second book, um, which I'm in the process of writing right now, really should have been the first book. and And my first book should have been the 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 culmination of of, of that. And so I'm kind of recorrecting things and and setting a different path. Okay. And I've kind of had to manufacture in many ways myself into a a series so i I set myself up and then got the ultimate compliment by being like let's turn into a series and going oh no
1: well and like like so i deal in mysteries you you sort of deal in mysteries yours is more of an adventure than it is a mystery um but the cool thing about mysteries is that there's always another case right so like it's easy for my characters to solve one case and then the next book it's a new case you like the characters so why would not you just want to go on I didn't want my series to be that way. I wanted my series to be a full arc and that each case builds on top of each other until we get to the final, final thing. But also I, what I had planned when I walked in the door after Alison went through the first book with me, like the second book changed other than location, the plot changed completely. And then the third book uh, I I just started um, on and it's um, it's going to like a completely different plot. Like, can I, once again, because my planning, what I had planned, uh, it's still going to fit in my overall arc, but all the, like, the little mini stories of each book now has changed completely because the journey of the first book changed. So you also, as a plotter, also have to have a little bit of a idea that that your story is going to take its own dimension and its own shape, and your characters are going to take over at some point, and that's okay. But well, if I you think plot it out, right, where... you'll still end up in point A to point B to point C to the end. So for a book like yours, which I would say thematically, you know,
2: uh, I mean, my big takeaway from from Egypt's Fire is, and, and weirdly, I like, uh, I think the Claire Pool books are going to be like this too. It, they come from it's just a sense of decency. They're really about common decency, and um, and so as a theme, it'll be interesting to see how that develops, you know, through. Because I do think that going over a series of books, you don't just have you know uh the master arc and then you have these yeah. individual arcs but you really start to and not be um it's not something that you, you know like you're preaching about but yeah. being able to set um an overall tone um and really understand how themes going to work um yeah. and, and play out for your reader um uh, well, i can well, see cur- your, your books having lots of opportunities for this
1: well curiously really i i wrote curiously because um you and I talk about this a lot outside of the thing, but um, I'm a, I'm an advocate to dismantle toxic masculinity and um, really teach boys, try to help boys get a new purpose and a refocus of purpose in these changing times. Mm-hmm. Because um, even our, our grandfathers were very stiff, you know, women stayed at home, men went to work. And then our fathers were men protect, but they, you know, you know, but your, your partnership with your wives. And, you know, my mom was, was walking down the street and with signs and protesting and leading Uh revolutions. Um, And now our generation, basically we're paying for the sins of our father. And now we're like, well, we've been treating women poorly for so many years. Now we need to put them in a seat at the table. But by the time the new boys get there, where do they fit in? Because we can't, we, we have to take, we have to dismantle the purpose of men from the dawn of time to make a better society. So, how do we do that? So, like, my first book is really about uh, he learns the rules of being a great detective and the great, and that'll be through the whole series. And the rules of great and great detective really is like, how do you be a better man? You know, how to listen, how to, how to feel, how to ex- express yourself stuff without being preachy. So, the first book is really about him finding a family and finding his place. And then the second book, because he solved this this giant case in the first book, now suddenly he has to deal with popularity and social media and the myth of of the mask and how people um, put out present something that they aren't. And that's you know how do we deal with that? You know what's more important, two friends or a hundred followers? Those kind of things. So those are the themes in the second book, and then it, it'll build and build. But I think there's so many lessons and so many things that we can do and talk about that uh, each book kind of focuses mainly on one aspect but also little things as we go yeah, it's, it's,
2: so it, 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 you're making me think that, that the book i'm writing now and you and uh, i think inherent in both of our books is this idea of like power structures and and mm-hmm. and how institutions work or don't work um and um and certainly uh you know it, at my age, I could say that I've had my experiences with with the good goods and bads of them. But um I actually have a um and, and I'm I'm on the flip side because my characters are all I have two daughters that are mm-hmm. now fourteen and ten, but were 10 and and um seven, six when when I started writing this this book. And so there was always this this notion of wanting to be you know, as a father wanting to have strong, independent thinking, mm-hmm. interested young women. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so I was really drawn to this idea of, of, of writing a, a female protagonist, yeah. um, which a lot of people can say, well, how, you, know, you shouldn't do. And, um, and, and what's your, you know, you know, what's your background to, to do that. But, but the um, the funny thing is now I'm into the second book and and I'm still dealing with power dynamics um, of yeah. things but I'm actually assigning them even to women, and, and this idea that that women actually can also be villainous as well, I think has been um, has been forgotten. They're not forgotten. I'm saying it wrong, I guess. Um, yeah. But it, but it's a, it, but they but humans can be good and bad, and, mm-hmm. um, and 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 they can be good and bad and complex. Um, and they can all have their own different motivations and reasons why. And yeah. so I think that there are, actually, I'm not saying this in contrast to what you're talking about with toxic. Masculinity. No, 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 you're right. You're right. I'm talking about it as like an, and to, to that. conversation. Yeah,
1: well, and, and that's sort of what my books are really like when we talk about stuff, you know, I, I truly believe, I want everybody to hear this. I truly believe that we need more books with women empowerment. We need more books. We, we have, we, we need more female writers, which is funny to me because it feels like the industry to me is like mostly female. But then when you look at books, like who's actually being published, I'm like, oh no, they're not. Um, I know it's interesting. We need more books. We need to teach our girls to be strong. We need to, to, to support our girls as they find their strength, because it is a, it's a big deal. I don't have any kids, so I don't have, I don't have a daughter. I don't have a son the i can't tell stories of female empowerment because i literally am a white male i don't understand it well enough that other people might so um i write books for. i want to do and i'm like okay you're writing the book about female empowerment i'm going to write this book about teaching boys to be better men and together we're going to change the world yeah that's that's why we fit well together
2: i mean for me the 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 um the hope is It's also, it's not just, it's not just giving the platform, but it's actually, it's actually leaning in to understand and listen to the voice because the voice is different. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and the ideas behind those things are different. And, and so I'm doing the best job I can being the person that I am um, to kind of set up those from the tenets of that. But I think the, the things to be celebrated that it's not just getting the opportunity, it's actually appreciating why that voice is different and how to hear it and why it matters. Um, and, and so I, you know, I think there's, there's some, uh, growing, and especially if you look at, I mean, just on a commercial basis, if you look at Mm -hmm. the audience of book buyers, you know, Mm -hmm. as well, um, I mean, you know, it's, uh, those are the people that are, that are, that are the, that are the readers. Um, so,
1: um, I don't know if you, you you know, and the, the thing about it is, is that at the end of the day, the, I, I live by this thing about leaving the world a better place than we, we entered it. So I feel like anybody who's trying to make the world a better place has, has, has a seat at, at my table. That's, yes. that's yes. where it's at. And I will fight for that. And I want the world to be a better place. And I am really happy about the diversity and, and things. I the, We still have a long way to go, but man, are there have been some really awesome books that probably would not have got been published five years ago that are getting published now that are just, just killer. So, um, I'm really excited about it. Now I will say that, uh, we've had this really deep conversation. And now that we, uh, we we got there we we probably should start wrapping it up because yeah, yeah. our listeners are going to have you know to go and contemplate they got to go to a bookstore buy my book think about maybe buying your book i don't know you guys figure it out yourself uh you could buy two copies of my book and then pretend like the one is is taylor's too that would that would work out
0: <laughs> you
1: can uh, you can do that so it's um, probably worth doing i will
0: say it sounds like it is to me that's for sure uh, all right, is there any last any last thoughts before we uh, move on to the very last moment of the guest book?
2: I appreciate the opportunity to um to be able to come on on this podcast and and uh I believe that this is gonna maybe post around the time of of dyslexia awareness mm-hmm. um, yeah. and uh, and I think that that just being able to have an opportunity for people that are in the beginnings of their careers to some degree even as as old guys. Um, and have coming from a place where writing wasn't always reading wasn't always the easiest thing, have found ourselves to be here. Um, there's definitely a, a like anyone can do it type of you know yeah. takeaway from that. Um, but I do just want to encourage any kid that's listening to this, is again, it's like it's about your story. Write the best story you can write and and um and love stories and, and just be interested in the world yeah. of stories and and then the writing comes with it it becomes because it has to and and so you just you, you turn it around and you make it into kind of a different different way of going about it but but just love stories
1: yeah and i and i'll say i'm also you can find both of us on on twitter so if you ever need my dms are always open so if you're an author or a parent or a kid or anybody who needs to 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 talk or ask questions or tell me i'm wrong um you know hit us up because Taylor and I are both really open um, to help other people on their journey as well, just as other people helped us. You know, it's like I said, we're all, we're all kind of in this together. It's not about competing with each other of stories. I tease Taylor, but the truth behind it is, is that every book that's on the shelf matters and the more books we put on the shelf, the better society.
0: That's a great message to be leaving on, which is the story is the thing. All right. So like the last thing then to do before we're all done here is for you to sign the guest book, if you would. Roald Dahl had
2: a, had a line in the mini pins, which I think was his last, last book that was about the the power of imagination and, and the value of make believe and um, which I really loved. And, and it's a quote that's uh, uh, if you don't believe in magic,
1: you'll never find it. And I just, that's, has stayed with me for forever. Yeah, that's a, it's a great, that's a great one. Um, I, I think I would leave with uh, my current mantra, which is be kind be courageous but most of all stay curious love it beautiful beautiful
0: tom taylor thank you both very much for joining us
1: thanks again